0: Welcome to the Aftershock
1: Podcast. We chat about cancer, the word you never want to hear. And that's scary. So I guess the other thing is that I'm scared. Even though I never thought I would be scared, I I am sort of scared because you don't know what's in front
0: of you. The Aftershock Podcast speaks to a variety of people that have experienced the ripple
2: effect of a cancer diagnosis. Join us as we explore stories of lost loved ones and speak to those who have lived experience with the disease. I'm Susie Neat. And I'm Kim Landy. And this is the Aftershock Podcast. We speak to Teresa Gallucci, who was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma in February 2016.
0: Teresa went from living a very healthy lifestyle, full of yoga and Pilates, to sitting across from her oncologist telling her to get her affairs in order immediately.
2: We speak about what her diagnosis felt like, the importance of knowing how to take control of your circumstances, and the unknown impacts of being diagnosed with a lesser known cancer. So it came as a huge shock.
0: This episode was very challenging to condense because Teresa had such a strong message she wanted to convey. At the time of recording, Teresa was in palliative care at home, surrounded by her wonderful
2: children, who you'll hear in the background. Thanks for giving Mama a platform. In the beginning of our chat, Teresa spoke to us about two main issues she wanted to highlight, relating to the vacuum of information and cooperation for rare and deadly cancers, like cholangiocarcinoma. I
1: just took myself to emergency because I couldn't stand one more night of it. The willingness and accessibility
0: specialists have to any sort of bank of information and the seeking out and sharing of information between specialists both in Australia and overseas. Then there was no communication from that. Teresa spoke candidly about the consequences of her symptoms not being taken seriously and the frustration felt by somebody living with this deadly disease.
1: I don't know where to go to say how do we change the
2: system. That the hard reality of cancer isn't pink and shiny. It's MRI scans, specialist appointments, chemo, biopsies, and colostomy bags. It's painful, it's worry, anger, confusion, and some sort of acceptance.
1: I'm one person. I'm one person in the process. But there are plenty of people out there who, you know, might not get a rare and deadly cancer. But my God, when they do, you're just thrown every bad possible outcome that there could possibly be with no hope. There is no hope. So I'm really angry that people who want a PET scan have to be, it's, um, at Cabrini, $870 out of pocket. Yeah. Um, if you have mm-hmm. cancer, maybe, you don't have to pay for that. And then for every immunotherapy cycle, every, what is it, three weeks, it's $5,885 or something. Now, You know, if it it worked, you could go up to $60,000 and then there's a cap. But if you didn't have the wherewithal to do that, you're just told, well, there's no clinical trials. Um, The immunotherapy is probably out of your reach from a cost point of view. Um, Where where do you go then? You just basically Mm. hang on to palliative care and um, hope that your pain management is going to be okay. And I was told well, now I have failing kidneys, um, that I'll probably die of kidney failure and that that's probably the best way to go because it's the least painful. Um, you know, can I look forward mm. to <laughs> I mean, that, that's about the only positive that I can see and the other one is keeping as healthy as I can for as long as I can. But other than that, I have no hope and I'm a sitting duck because I don't know when it's going to happen how it's going to happen? Should I um, continue with the voluntary assisted dying thing so that I have more control? So I know that it's there if I need to do something. So there's lots of um, things that you have to do without and without the support of your family. And you you talk about that aftershock really well, the ripple effect. You know, they come with me on this journey. Yeah just along the way so as we're told to do xyz they do it but they make decisions along the way they they will tell palliative care this is working that's not working if we give her this at night she'll sleep through the night Um, I mean Mm -hmm. where else can you get that
0: you're so selfless when you're talking about this and even just hearing you be so proactive and I, I know that is not an easy decision, and I thankfully can't relate, but you're just so thinking of your your kids talking about getting your life in order. What was your mindset when you were originally diagnosed with all the negativity, um, survival is small, deadly, rare,
1: all those words? Where did your mind go? I thought they were talking to someone behind me. <laughs> I really didn't think they were speaking to me. You, you're just in this shock area. You don't know what to say because that's not me. No, I'm the I'm the healthy one. These things don't happen to me. I I go for I make sure that I go for a walk each day in a park with one of my kids. And I see people that are you know <laughs> that are out doing exercise and it's great, but they're overweight, you know, yeah. they just yeah. look like they've looked after and, and that's very judgmental, right? It's really judgmental. But you can do everything in your life to avoid those things happening. But it actually could be you and no one realized, i I'm not in my wildest dreams would I have thought I had cancer. The girls that I went to school with, I was like the least, you know, the lowest probability of getting cancer because I tried to really look after myself all the way through. I I know people that have smoked all their lives and they don't have a hint of it. And, you know, I had the Garvin Institute saying, well, you know, you have, Abnormalities in your molecular profiling, but we don't have anything to treat that. Um, so someone else who came along might have the molecular makeup to be able to do something. So all along the way, you you're picking up the the threads of what might have been a possibility, but then it's not. So I think it's just after shock. Shock is a good word because you you feel like you you feel like you're shocked for a long, long time. In fact, do you know what? When people say, um, because we've sent a message out saying this is the situation, so we did a a large spread to everyone at about the same time so they all knew together. Um, And when they came back with, you know, all the, oh, we're so sorry, you're so strong, you're so brave, you're so whatever, the thing is that you really don't have any choice and I'm fine until someone writes a letter saying or an email saying we are so sorry we are so sad for you we are mm. because you actually project and you think oh my god that poor family then you think actually that family is us mm. there's still a an element of detachment from what the diagnosis is and what the way that you're trying to live and i guess the biggest Issues for me right at the moment, apart from things that I've mentioned that are broader um, diagnosis issues, is, you know, I find like it's been all right, but often my mouth just sticks together. There's there's nothing there to talk with because the saliva's all gone and I wake up with that as well. And then my eye's Mm. going to just go and have... Fogginess, to wake up with fogginess, to live the day through fogginess, to go when I've already always had pretty good sight except for close up and then I look into the distance and it's foggy again. They they really impact on my quality of life. Absolutely. And and I can say to palliative care, these are my biggest issues. I've got hip problems where I never had a hip problem before and I've got eye problems. And so now my girls are trying to work out, and my son, where would that come from? Is that so? they're thinking that maybe I just have so many pain meds that it's done something to the muscles of my eye, but who's going to fix that? Yeah. So the immediate things are how do I live my life in a quality way and those things seem to be at odds with how I want to, you know, live the rest of what I've got left.
2: Are you talking to someone at a palliative care centre Originally, I had head of
1: palliative care, and we were told, um, don't worry about, you know, your will and, you know, your tax things and whatever else you have to do. Just concentrate on creating memories with your children. That's what you should be doing. And I said to her, is your husband still alive? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Mm. You could pass this life, and he can look after all those affairs. But my husband died 21 years ago. I have to look after those affairs. Yeah. So I felt, again, like I was part of a system that look at the average rather than look at the individual themselves. So I've also spoken to an uh, oncology psychologist. Yeah. I found really good, actually, like quite pragmatic. I thought that he would mm. really be a bit more um, pushy. In terms of palliative care, because palliative care and voluntary assisted dying are a bit at odds. They have a bit of a factor yeah. with each other. And even the oncologist just, I'm not allowed to bring I'm not I can bring it up, but they can't bring it up. So I just want to have it there as a backup because my mother died in palliative care. My brother died in palliative care. I didn't think it was a great way to go. So I just want to make sure that I'm in control. And when I spoke to the psych oncologist, and there must be differences in the people that you see, but I thought that he was really understanding in a proper, in, in a genuine sort of way and open-minded. Um, mm. So I was kind of buoyed by that. Then I thought, well, if I really need to go back and speak to someone, I could speak to someone there. But anybody that comes and does um like palliative care with a religious kind of bent, mm. I'm not so interested in counselling. I. I just say, you know, I have my own sort of way of dealing with things. I hope there's an afterlife, but no one knows. The thing is no one knows. No. And and that's scary. So I guess the other thing is that I'm scared. Even though I never thought I would be scared, I I am sort of scared because you don't know what's in front of you. I think that's such a
0: good point you Mm -hmm. make about being in control. Like you're so everything's taken out of your control essentially once you're diagnosed with cancer except the things you're doing like looking after your affairs thinking about your house thinking about your kids because all of that stuff if you don't do it it does fall on your kids and I know yeah. when my mum passed away she had my dad we were very fortunate we are very fortunate to have a very beautiful dad um but I know that he was sort of because he's a few years older than mum he kind of thought he would go first so he had yeah. that stuff sort of planned but you're right people the systems are looking at the average and not the individual circumstances and if you don't take care of these things
1: in the shit shit circumstances you're in who else will i know and you only have a certain window you don't know what that window is no and you've got to remain lucid and you've got to remain alert. So what I've been doing lately because I can't see so well is like the email that was sent to you was typed up by one of my daughters. I (laughs) I thought it might have been because it
0: was signed off by Frankie and I thought that's not Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) That was (laughs)
1: an accident. But that's going to increasingly happen where I'm going to be more reliant on them to send out my messages. So they're my PAs, they're my pain managers, they're um, (laughs) – and – you don't really realise what would someone do if they didn't have family or interested family. Like it's not just, well, I'm just waiting in the wings for my share of the house, or you know, oh, that's right, yeah. generally genuinely interested in my um, well-being, and I yeah. take a lot of comfort in that because I know that they won't abandon me. I, you know, I'm I'm right s- sort of centre with them at the moment yes and they they're great to go on walks and things because I can go as slow as slow (laughs) (laughs) and they still go with it you know like people and I've met people that don't know what to say so I met this girl who used to do spin class and I did spin class with her and she was in the park one day and she was power walking then she stopped and because my hair wasn't gray before and now i'm gray i just let it go gray and things and i had my mask on and i'm obviously like i think i'm just like somewhere between eight and ten kilos less than i was when i started this journey thing so i think it must be quite confronting for people and she said um oh hi you look um your eyes look great (laughs) You know, she just did not know what to say. And so we sort of put her out of her agony and just said, look, you just keep power walking because we're just going really slow. And she said, so you're, uh," you know, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But I don't now go back and try to explain where things are. It's just all too hard. And if I Mm. start to talk about it, I get really emotional. Yeah. Mm. If I don't talk about it. You know, if somebody just doesn't ask me the push-button questions, I'm okay because I have to do certain things and I try to get them done. And my kids keep me busy. Like tonight we're doing a dinner because it's Father's Day and so they've organised some um, takeaway from his favourite restaurant and we all have to get dressed up. So I had this dress put aside for my second daughter's engagement, which obviously I can't wear, and they're making me wear it, right? And I said, the problem is that I have I have an ileostomy bag, right? So whatever, I, and it's tight-fitting. I used to always wear fitted clothes. Yeah. And I it. And they're saying, yeah, but you can put, like, a bag over it or whatever. So tonight I've promised that I'm going to wear this dress and God knows how it's going to look. But... <laughs> We'll, we'll see how we go. So they keep me busy and on my toes and they give me um, things to look forward to, which is really important. And I just don't sit and dwell all day on it. And, and I sleep well because they give me great meds. So if I was lying in bed dwelling on it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. If, and yeah. On the family side, you've been through it, Suzanne, so I don't even know. You know, and you're still going through it. You never stop going through it. That's so. right. And same with Kim. Kim. So my mum's anniversary of four
0: years is coming up on the nineteenth of September, and I was just saying to Kim how the lockdown, technically, me, my dad, and my brother can't be together on mum's anniversary, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but to me, it is heartbreaking. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm yeah. shattered. We get together and we cook. Um, I cook um, Mom's lasagna and just make the house, you know, the kitchen smell like her. And that's just a tiny thing that's really comforting for us. But Kim's a bit fresher. So, um, yeah, slightly,
1: slightly different angle, but yeah, it's, it's hard. Some people stick to the rules exactly. And some people bend the rules just slightly mm. and they feel like if they were, I mean, who would report them, but if they did, they've got a pretty good reason. My God, mm. um, but tonight, it's because everyone's self-isolated, we can all get together because everyone has been bunkered yeah. down. It's, we're not living outside the house, really. And that in itself, you know, at one point was creating tensions, but we seem to have got past that. But you can't discount that either of putting of the young adults together again. Yeah.
2: Has corona affected um, any of your previous appointments or the way you've been able to go to yes. hospitals or yes,
1: see surgeons? Because um, most don't like face-to-face, although there's a guy that I've been speaking to about medical cannabis and he wants to go back to face-to-face, but he's like Northcote. You know, that's a long way from East Malvern to go. But not that long ago I had to go into Cabrini for what was a test. Uh, When was it? uh, The Radiology? PET scan. Oh, yeah, another PET scan. I had to go in for another PET scan. The whole time took four hours. From the time that I got there to the time I left was four hours because I had to see palliative care at the hospital before I left. I wasn't allowed anybody as a support person. So the the kids would normally accompany me somewhere where they had the pain management stuff, on site to give me, and I didn't have that. By the time I left, I was beside myself with pain. I'd been standing up, and then I went upstairs into the oncology area to make another appointment or to make the next appointment, and they're all lovely. They're all like, oh, yes, we're going to ring, I won't say the name, we're going to ring, let's say, Rachel, we're going to ring Rachel, and, and we're going to put this all in place, and there are four of them. There are four of them trying to work out this thing and I'm pacing like pacing the floor, standing up and down. And I just said, I'll just, I just have to go. I can't stay here any longer. And then they said, well, if you stay a little while longer, we can do some other, like, blood test on you that will save you time next time you come in. But it will take, like, 45 minutes to get the stuff up from pharmacy. Then it will take a while for it to go in and that. And I just said, hold on, hold on, stop, stop. Yeah. I can't stop here any longer so the next time we went in we made an arrangement that one of my kids could come in as a support pain management person so now that's in place and the hospital seems to have loosened a little bit in terms of their visitor um, protocols so we were able to do that and i expect on monday yes on monday we will go in with someone because I was allowed to do that last time. So each radio- radiology session is only going to be 15 minutes. So it's just basically an in-out thing. And I've been told it'll be a bit like sunburn. I could be itchy inside. Would yeah. be might feel like my bum is on fire. <laughs> um, but the the um, sorry, the, the radiologist said that because I take so many pain meds that I may actually circumvent that because I already take a lot of painkillers. So maybe the effects might be minimized from that. But luckily I'll have people on site with, like, if this happens, you take this. If this happens, you take that. But I wouldn't have a palliative care person who was going to just stay with me. And they offered one initially and she put some stuff in my arm, some, some of it in my arm, but not enough. And not, not enough regularly, you know, it wasn't a big enough dose and it wasn't given a second time, which it should have been given a second time. But my kids had to rush up to the yep. hospital with that to even get one dose of it. So it has changed, but it's a movable thing, isn't it? You know, you're just waiting for the next change to happen mm. it's just so lovely
2: to hear about your wonderful children yeah looking after you they sound incredible like just I incredible
1: i know i'm very proud You're of so, so lucky yeah, yeah. And then, but uh, i'm just going to frankie do you want to just say a quick hello this is sure this is francesca hello hi hey. frankie Nice to meet you guys. You're doing awesome stuff. So thanks for giving mum a platform to share. No,
0: you're doing awesome stuff. Hello.
1: Hi. Hi. You've met before, Suzanne. Came to the exhibition? Yes.
2: That's right, yeah. Yeah.
1: Gabby.
2: Gabby. Yeah, thanks again. Frankie said it very
1: well. This is Gabby. Hi, Gabby.
2: Hi, Gabby. 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 Nice to meet you. So So nice to meet you guys. You
1: Like a sort of pit stop car rallying thing. They're my support team. They're um That's they're
0: tangible. extremely lucky. I mean, I know when Mum passed away, I had this comment by a, someone who I won't name. And it was just stupid. They told me that Mum died for a reason, and I should figure out what that oh, reason is.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um,
0: I uh, I messaged my dad because I was so upset, and he said, "Don't listen to them. They don't understand what a real relationship is." And I can just see it in your family. That's what a real relationship is. So it's beautiful beautiful to um to see and we can't thank you enough because this is this is not easy and I think people don't understand that even just talking about it reliving the diagnosis from 2016 sitting here and talking about it today none of that is easy so thank you
1: for being so open and so and on your mom's anniversary too you'll have people doing the same sort of thing so I had the you know Look, I know this woman that had breast cancer like three times and she just like it was a miracle she just recovered it was through her body um, I know someone that had bowel cancer stage four and they recovered you know there are miracles that happen and yeah and then I'd be told by well afterwards when specialists got on board don't listen to those things because unless it's a rare and deadly cancer it's not relevant no and so how many people have a story to tell about the no one does.: Well, oh, and you're, I almost did. I, I almost got there, you know. But I don't think you're ever out of the woods. No.
0: And Kim can probably attest to this, but your, your kids will, you know, probably get similar comments from, from people as well, and you just kind of have to bat it away sometimes.
1: Um, but it is but I hard. Go my emails and they go through my texts and they'll see anything that really needs to be responded to and then they'll respond. If it's something that shouldn't require a response, then they don't because you can't respond to everyone that says, I'm so sad and devastated Yeah. for you. How many times do you say, oh, thank you, oh, thank you? Yeah. Oh, what do you say? And and then you're going to come up against that on your mum's anniversary and, and stuff. So we feel for each other in that respect.
0: Uh, all, yeah. all, all of us on this call can certainly... Um, know what that feels like and it's it's shit but at least uh, I mean we wouldn't have none of us would have met and I always say it but I hate the circumstances in which we've all met but at least there's that common um, thread that you can relate to it is nice knowing there are
2: other people out there
1: because you've been through a bit of a similar journey Kim
2: yeah, um, I, my mum didn't have a rare cancer, but um, she unfortunately passed away in April this year. So I guess, yeah, it was a pretty, it was about a three-year journey all up um, and it was very, there was a lot of hope in the beginning because it was bowel cancer, so um, oh, yeah. not one of the rare ones. but oh, the
1: pressure. Um,
2: yeah. The, and, pressure, the, the yeah. pressure,
1: you know, surviving, like keep really well and you might survive, mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's all, all of that stuff. And she went vegan for a, for a time there as well. She sort of completely changed her lifestyle because she, she wanted to beat it. Um, and then, yeah, it, it came back with a vengeance, unfortunately, and, and spread quite quickly. So we sort of were having these discussions pretty much in January this year, um, just what you've, you've basically told us. And I've, I've got a twin brother as well. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's it's re- it's, it's, Your it's, yeah. a broader picture, right? It's a, mm. it's broader picture because
1: it brings in those cancers that still don't have much of hope, but they're not it's, severe. You're so
2: brave. For,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, I just, it's just so nice speaking to you about this because a lot, I don't know, me personally and my mum, and I think maybe Susie's mum as well. Um, the conversations were a lot harder to have, and and we didn't get to have we didn't get the opportunity to have these really good um, conversations about um, end of life, um, about uh, you know selling well, you the would house have wanted kind things like thing. that. Yeah, it all happened really quickly, yeah. um, and so it's it's really beautiful that um, you're able to share this with your children as well, and and to be brave enough to have these conversations with us it's yeah well, you
1: also get it's amazing yeah who says you know don't think you can rule from the grave so don't make too many mm. restrictions on things because really it's your children's life and mm. so you try and involve some a little bit of buffer in there so that they have some mentoring to go to for the first couple of years because it's, it's a hard thing to do to all of a sudden um be by yourself, and that's you're not going to get any other inheritance, so that's the inheritance. how do you look after it? This schools you in that yeah no, there's mm. it, no there's nothing there so i'm I'm pretty well aware of that um, but my kids are pretty sensible, but they don't it was like me when my husband passed I had just no idea and he's to fi- his filing basket with was the waste paper bin. <laughs> I, 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 it's just, it was just like a minefield, so I had to learn along the way, and I haven't done a sterling job, but I've done an okay job. So done
0: a very good job. done a very exactly. I can hear it in the background. You're doing a very very good <laughs> job. It's actually, and Kim's right. Mum, my mum was sort of fine until she wasn't, and when she wasn't, it was um, a stage where we couldn't really have that conversation. Um, but it's encouraged myself and my dad. Both like two way street to have those conversations. Like, what would you want? Because, um, or you know, tell me about a certain memory, or you know, how did you and Mum meet? Like, just knowing that stuff because once they're gone, you you can't um, answer that. Especially when it's things that um, only the two of them can answer, and they're really really special things that I want to know. But you just think you've got all this time, and hopefully you do, but you don't know. I,
1: I put up like a. This is ridiculous, but. Early in the piece, when I well, earlier in the piece, when I had that second diagnosis, I came home from hospital. I was allowed day leave and I'd stick on the thing, people are coming to my wake. Very <laughs> Certain people to my wake and some other people aren't coming to my wake. And then underneath that was, okay, if the trees need lopping, you contact this person. If this happens, you contact this yeah. person. So... So it was like, oh, all the questions that you'd ask me, probably the ones that they really need to know, they might never know. But yeah, so that was my mission from hospital. I had to just get something up there. Yeah,
2: that's funny. It reminds me a lot of my mum. She um, when she got back from hospital, she posted noted all of her clothes, you know, cupboard. She's I'm like, like yes, my shoes totally, totally, are going to my totally. sister. My uh, you know, jewelry to you, and um, it was just so. Love it. It was actually really beautiful because um, after she passed away, I dropped some clothes off to her sister's house and mum had written this beautiful note and it was such a treasure just for her to be able to read her handwriting and mum had this beautifully neat handwriting that everyone always talked about Um, and just those sort of things, they seem so insignificant or small but...
1: And you hope that the person that is at the receiving end actually um, oh, appreciates it as much as your mum did. And I think even the thought, even if she didn't really like some of yep. the the thought process of going through it. Because I've got like a leather jacket that I bought last year that I've never worn. I love it, right? I love it. <laughs> um, but I've never worn it. And there's another one. I've got we've got this friend who is my mum my da- um, Husband. My late husband's business partner and she's been trying to get a flight over here and it keeps From getting Paris. moved Yeah, she lives in Paris in Paris for years, but she moves it and moves it and moves it all the time And so I've got this um, when I was first had untreated constipation I'd go over and see these people in the it the bowel physios and bowel masseurs and all these people So on the way back I'd go into Victoria Avenue and there's a shop called the Bureau Anyway, I, I really like it, right? I really like it. And it had this um, jacket that was quite, not a ja- like a light one. It was quite expensive and I thought, stuff it, you know. I'm going to these meetings and things like that. I'm going to do something that makes me feel better. And so she's on my wait list and I'm going, this is what you're wearing, this jacket and my uh, deep chocolate fairy skirt. Right? I love this so much. Yes. <laughs> so whether she likes it or not, she's going to turn that. Got to get here, and you know the scary bit is that if you say up to a few weeks, then possibly a few months, I've passed that because if you take into account in January, in March, they said two months to six months, I'm in the six month area already. So um, I'm, I am scared that it's not going to be up to the month's end. It'll be the week's end, and that I'll miss seeing her. But what can you do? Like, uh, you just have to hope that she gets here in time. And and also we we talk a lot, so um, and I keep her up to date. So that there's there is a pressure in you know in seeing people before they. Pass and I get that from my siblings as well. In fact, one of my siblings rang me just before this call and I said, oh, I'm just doing a Skype interview with Aftershock. And she said, Oh, look, that's important, that's important. And I said, Look, Anne, there, there is no rule update. And she said, Yes, but can't I just talk to you? Aww. She just wants to talk with me. And I don't, I just think, Oh, should we talk about the weather or. <laughs>
2: What do we talk about? Yeah, I yeah. has it has there been um, any beauty whatsoever in your diagnosis? Have you seen any um, relationship changes? Or um, I know for us with Mum's diagnosis, it, um, we as a family, when she was first diagnosed, we just connect so much more than we were. So we we made so much more of an effort to talk to each other and call each other. Um, yeah.
1: Yes, Absolutely. that sort of thing. And, and make an effort to when there has been tension to just de-escalate things before they get yep. to, to that because when it becomes, you know, just more difficult to come down from because it's really hard. It's, you know, at one stage we had, well and there probably will be again, each of my children with their partners. That's, that's mm. a lot of people. Even though we've got a sizable house. It's still a lot of people in one place all doing their own breakfasts all doing their own you know th- there's a lot of stuff happening who cleans up who does yeah mm. the, the, the beauty oh the beauty the beauty is yes spending more, time. That, spending more time with my kids that's true I, i do spend a lot more time with them so frankie works um down here usually no no she works upstairs actually And then Gabby works down here and Johnny works, well, he's a movable Feast at the moment, but he works sort of anywhere. But they try to be in a location where they can kind of see me and that they're present. So not necessarily chatting about every single thing, but just being present in each other's lives, I think is more present than it would normally be. On Friday, September
0: 25th, 2020, Teresa passed away, surrounded by her three beautiful children. So much control is taken away from you when you're diagnosed with cancer. However, Teresa was determined to take control over her death,
2: which is exactly what she did. By Teresa sharing her story, we hope that other people currently living with a lesser-known cancer know they aren't alone. If there's been anything triggering in this episode, please get in touch with lifeline.org.au Or you can find out more information about the Aftershock by jumping on theaftershock.org. Until next
0: time, I'm Susie Neat. And I'm Kim Landy. And this has been the Aftershock Podcast.